Before I begin today's podcast, I want to tell you about another podcast you can listen to with your daughters called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. You know how much I love stories, especially using stories to teach valuable life lessons, and especially good stories about rebel women who can inspire your daughters. For instance, did you know that eminent primatologist Jane Goodall was laughed at for her dream of living in Africa and working with animals at the age of eight? Luckily, her mom supported her dream. The fun thing about the podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, is that it features an all-star cast of narrators reading the real-life journeys of amazing women who changed our world. Like comedian Alana Glazer, who read the story of Vice President Kamala Harris. Or science educator Lindsay Murphy, telling us all about the young chemist Alice Ball. Rebel Girls is on a mission to empower a diverse community of girls from all over the world to live in confidence. And there's new episodes that drop every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. So, whether your daughter is a budding scientist, or or a writer, or an activist, or a U.S. vice president, she will find stories of girls and women she can relate to in the podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, and and these stories are going to inspire her to dream really big. So the topic on this week's podcast is near and dear to my heart, and I think it may be one of the most important podcasts I've ever done, and I hope you will agree with me by the end. Uh, this, this topic is near and dear to my heart because I've experienced some of the consequences of it, but also because I think our kids are suffering a lot because of what I'm going to be talking about. We've worried in this culture about drugs for a long time. You know, in recent years, we've been worried about our middle schoolers and high schoolers and college women vaping. We've worried about the use of pot, drinking. We've, we've worried about heroin in the last five or so years. We've got the opioid crisis that's, that's looming over the whole country. But I'm going to be talking about a different drug, probably the most damaging, dangerous, insidious drug for our kids that they are experiencing each and every day in this country. And it's not pot, and it's not vaping, and it's not heroin. It's the drugs of approval and praise. Let me say that again. It's the drugs of approval and praise. I started thinking about this 30-something years ago when I read a, a book, which is still my very favorite personal growth spiritual book. It's called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. And he turned me on to be thinking about this in a diff- uh, things in a different way. And I realized that our kids have been conditioned and programmed by, our, by their parents, by teachers, by the culture, by social media. They've been drugged as kids, drugged with things like the need for acceptance, the drugs of approval, the, the drugs of appreciation and being applauded, the drug of being popular and being successful, a drug like being rich and good looking. And what happens for kids and all of us over time is that when they get a taste of these drugs, because of the way we treat them and parent them and because of what's going on around them in the culture, they become addicted to them. And so they start developing attachments. Attachments are the belief that in order to be happy, you need blank. And I think that the drugs that our kids have been, um, been taught to need to be happy are things like money being rich and famous, being beautiful, having a beautiful partner. They have attachments and the need to have a great job and make a lot of money, to go to an elite college, 
an elite college or a bust, if you will. There's a belief that in order to be happy, I need to be popular. I need to have lots of likes on social media. I need to be attractive and thin and hot. I need to be wanted by dating partners. I need to be the best. I need to be on the best club sports teams. I need to win. In order for me to be happy, I need to be respected. I need to be important. And this is, a, this is an insidious one. I need to fit in and belong. Those are tricky. It's not, like, it's not wrong to belong to a group. It's the need to fit in and belong that becomes an attachment. Because without, if, we don't, if we feel like we need these to be happy, and if we don't get them, then we're miserable. Sometimes I ask girls in my counseling practice to choose between one of two life philosophies. Philosophy number one is, I feel good because the world is right. Philosophy number two is, the world is right because I feel good. And almost always, girls pick the first one. I feel good because the world is right. And that is because they've been taught and drugged and programmed and conditioned to be externally focused. I feel good because not only is the world right, but because I'm getting my drugs. I feel good because I'm getting applauded, because people are approving of me. They're not disappointed. I feel, I feel good because I feel popular. I feel important. I'm getting medals. I'm winning. And if, if you live by that life philosophy, you're probably going to end up miserable because you can't always count on all those things. You can't always count on being applauded or praised or whatever. Those drugs aren't always there. And they're setting our kids up to be miserable. So how are they conditioned? Let me tell you a quick story. I remember one time being at a friend's house. And his daughter, who was in seventh grade, came home from her gymnastics practice. This is like at 8.30 at night. So after school, she rushes over to gymnastics at like 3.30. She practices for four or five hours, comes home, and she's exhausted. So she sat down at the dinner table with us. And I said, wow, that's a lot of time being away a lot of time from your friends I said what why do you do it what's what's why do you like gymnastics so much that you're willing to to do all that and her face kind of brightened she said you know I, I love gymnastics because and as soon as she started to say her line her dad interrupted her he said honey go show go show Tim your your uh, hardware and she and I looked at each other like what she said come on honey go show him your hardware and she's like dad and she rolled her eyes as, as seventh graders are wont to do. So anyway, she took me to her room, her bedroom. And all around her room were shelves. And on, on the shelves, they were loaded with trophies and blue ribbons. I'm telling you, all around the room, all four walls. She goes, here's my, here's my ribbons, here's my medals, here's my trophies. So I stopped her. I said, you know, you were starting to tell me back in the kitchen about why you love gymnastics. Why do you like it? And again, her face brightened. She said, you know, what I really like is, my favorite thing is the floor routine. Because I'm out there all by myself. I'm standing in that corner of the mat. And all eyes are on me. And my heart is pounding. And I'm getting all focused. And she said, everything else goes away. I'm so in the moment. It's like, I just love being out there entertaining. That was her intrinsic motivation. That's why she loved the sport. But she was being distracted from that by the drugs of approval and being applauded and winning, etc. And over time, kids lose their intrinsic motivation because of that. So we focus too much on externals as parents 
and as a culture and as teachers and in classrooms. Externals like praise, being rewarded for good behavior. You know, I, I really get upset when I hear parents asking me questions about what kind of bribe systems, what kind of point systems, what kind of star systems they should be using with their kids to do things like make their bed or clean their room or, or you know, empty the dishwasher. Things that I think they should be doing because they live there, because they're part of the community. <clears throat> I really get upset with schools because they have so many reward systems in place. Their motto is that we need to motivate our kids with these external rewards. So if the class of third graders walks down the hallway without fighting or talking or being too loud and noisy, when they get back in the classroom, somebody gets to put this little marble into a jar. And when the jar is filled with marbles, the class gets a pizza party on a Friday. There's all kinds of very intricate star systems and reward systems set up, which to me, again, are focusing kids on externals. Everybody gets a trophy. It's interesting. I've been traveling all over this country giving talks to parents and also giving uh, workshops for CEOs of companies, presidents, CEOs, people who own companies and very successful companies. I've also traveled to 18 countries doing the same thing. And these employers are really frustrated these days because the young employees that they're hiring need so much externals, so much positive feedback, so much backslapping and praise. Otherwise, they lose their motivation quickly and they get devastated. They, they need so much because we've conditioned them to need those drugs. They're addicted. We've also set up kids to need those drugs because of the re relentless pressure all the way through high school to get on the top club team, playing 12 months of the year and vying for national championships getting straight A's in school in order to get into an elite college, a top college. We've been pressuring them to be the best and to, to be unique and to be special. And this kind of pressure starts early. This is not like high school seniors. This is like little kids. <clears throat> Excuse me. I talk to lots of parents who tell me that they do these kinds of things. The pressure on them is to give their kids an edge to give their kids a leg up on the competition. And the competition isn't the Olympics. The competition is these kids' classmates. It's their friends. It's their, their peers. There's so much worry about my kid's going to get behind. My daughter's not going to keep up. If they don't get on this super-duper team, in, you know, when they're seven years old, they won't be able to make their high school team. They don't get to make their high school team. They're not going to be able to get a college scholarship. Woo! They get amped up quick. So kids have gotten a taste for these drugs. They become addicted to them. They need them to be happy. They dread losing them. So even if they get them, there's lots of worry about, will I lose it? Will I, will I be able to maintain it? And it's hard for them to find motivation from within without these drugs. They need the applause. They need the approval. And they're constantly anxious, dreading losing them. They worry about other people getting more praise. They, they compare themselves endlessly because they're worried about who's getting more attention, who's getting more applause, who's getting more trophies, who's getting more whatever. Let me give you an example. If a girl walks into school and one of her friends says, oh, I really love your outfit. That's really cute on you. Oh, she feels good about herself. She feels pretty that day. She feels happier. But if someone says, "Ugh, what's with that outfit? Oh. Then she feels judged, she feels criticized, she worries all day, she feels way more insecure, more self-conscious. 
So her self-esteem will rise and fall, up and down, and she's not in charge. She's become so dependent upon other people for her to see herself. Again, that external focus. So if she's approved of, she's happy. If she's judged or she's criticized, she feels miserable. And if you allow yourself to feel good, if somebody acknowledges you for something, like, like your outfit, then you're setting yourself up to be miserable if they don't like your outfit or if, they're, if you're criticized. That's a trap. Oh, that's such a trap for kids. <clears throat> I saw a, a girl recently. She's in seventh grade. And she's been depressed and anxious because her volleyball coach is not playing her much in their, in their matches and especially in their tournaments and especially the out-of-town tournaments. The ones, you know, where you, you go away for two or three days, you pay a lot of money. It's a huge time and energy drain. And so she's been going to these tournaments and then sitting on a bench. And she's in seventh grade. And the girl also was sort of upset because she felt like the coach was favoring her, his favorite players, his favorite players. Now, I think this is idiotic as a coach of seventh graders because they're still developing. They need to play. But the focus is on winning. The focus is on getting your kids ready for their college showcases, which sometimes start as early as eighth, ninth grade. Getting your kids ready for, for one, one of the coaches I, I heard about, um, she, he was so pushing the kids, pressuring the kids, only playing the best kids because he wanted all of his kids as freshmen in high school to make the varsity. That was his goal. So again, that pressure on kids to be the best, to win, all that, all that work and all that striving, causing lots of tension for kids, stress and pressure. And even once they achieve it, they win the championship, it's never enough. Because once you, once you achieve it, you worry you're going to lose it. You got to keep striving for it. Plus those feelings <clears throat> you get when people applaud you, when people are clapping, <clears throat> when people are approving and telling you how great you are, they don't last. They go away. And then you need another shot of your drug. I can relate to that part very well. I remember about 30 years ago, I was, and my wife and I, and my wife and I, I should say, we were teaching some weekend retreats, a personal growth in nature where people would come individually or as couples. It was intense. It was, people would, would cry. They would go back to their childhoods. They'd work through things. There's lots of laughing and dancing. It was incredible. And after the retreats, people would come up to me and say, oh my gosh, that was so great. You changed my life. You were so awesome. And I allowed that to fill me up. Just like that girl who got filled up when someone said, I love your outfit. But the problem was, was that that good feeling started to go away quicker and quicker. It didn't last very long. And so I remember one time at, at one of the, the training sessions I was going through with my wife to teach the retreats. One of my mentors, Bill, uh, I remember we, uh, we were driving in a van someplace. And I remember he turned around. He was in the front seat. I was in the, in the middle seat of the van. He turned around. And he said, your problem is not what you're doing. Your problem isn't you're, you're, that you're giving these great talks or you're running these retreats or you're teaching parenting classes. He said, that's not the problem. Your problem is why you're doing it. And I realized, I became aware that I was doing it to get the applause. I was doing it because I needed that approval. I had an old belief system that said I wasn't good enough. 
growing up, the, uh, the, uh, the youngest of three brothers, um, being in a neighborhood where all the kids were older, I developed this, this need to have to, you know, scratch and claw and, and be, compete in order to keep up with the big kids. So I developed, because, and also because there was a lot of criticism in my home growing up, I developed a belief system that said I wasn't good enough. And so I needed these applause. <clears throat> I needed the, the adulation, if you will, in order to feel good about myself, to feel like I was okay, I was good enough. <clears throat> so what Bill told me was, just switch your intention for why you're doing it. So I gave it some thought, and I decided that I wanted my intention for doing all those things to be, to be of service, to help other people. Now, I was already doing that, but that wasn't my focus prior to this, this epiphany moment, if you will. And I remember I, I adopted the first line of the prayer of St. Francis for my mantra. Uh, the first line of the prayer of St. Francis is, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. And what that meant to me was to focus on being there for other people, helping other people, and not worrying about what I got from it. I don't care if I get applauded. I don't care if people liked it. I'm doing it because I'm just being of service. And for me, that shifted everything. I became much more happy, less tense, less stressed, because I wasn't worried about all that external stuff anymore. I became much more fulfilled with what I was doing. I didn't change a thing about what I was doing. I only shifted my intention. I shifted away from the holy grail of, things like medals and ribbons and power and prestige and accolades. And I did instead to be of service. So many people, so many adults, I think it's true for kids too because of the external focus. They gain the world, but they lose their souls. They're never content. And there's a lot of emptiness. And they don't know why they feel empty because they've never given much thought to what's, what they're doing and why they're doing it. I like, to call, I like to call this the thrill hangover cycle. So when you feel empty, and I see kids in high school who are already experiencing this. When they feel kind of empty, not very fulfilled, kind of blah, they reach for a thrill to pull them out of it. That thrill can be vaping or getting high or getting drunk or partying. It can be sexuality. For adults, it can be buying a new car, buying a new house, having an affair. And those things for a short time, do pull us out of our funks, but never last. So for every thrill, there's a hangover. Not just a physical, like alcohol hangover, but an emotional hangover. Because we end up feeling empty again, and oftentimes emptier. So then we need another thrill to pull us out of it, and we get caught in that cycle. And I'm worried because of all these drugs that we're getting our kids addicted to, that they are also becoming uh, part of that thrill hangover cycle. So many girls I, I work with in my counseling practice, retreats, camps, etc., they're making choices in life based on getting approval, the approval of their parents, teachers, coaches. I see so many miserable, burned-out athletes in my counseling practice. I had an 11th grade girl in my practice not too long ago who, uh, as soon as her parents left the room, I usually have the parents in for the first few minutes just to get a sense of what they're, they're looking for. I spend most of the time with the girls, especially when they're in late high school, like this 11th grader. And as soon as her parents walked out the door, she started crying. And like, not just crying, but like bawling. And she couldn't stop. She's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. 
it's okay, it's okay in this room. And I said, what's going on? What are you feeling? And she had no idea. But what we got to after a little bit of time was she was depressed and sad and exhausted because she'd been playing soccer since she was five years old. And she'd been on a a traveling team since she was, I think, seven. Twelve months of the year, intense. She's on a top-level team. And she was depressed because she didn't want to play anymore. She was burned out. I asked her, how come you don't quit? How come you don't try something else? She's like, two things. She said, first of all, I wouldn't know what else to do. This has been my whole life. It's my whole identity. But she said, more important, she doesn't want to quit because she, she, she was afraid she was going to let down her parents, her coaches, and her teammates. Because her parents had invested so much time and so much energy and so much money and so many weekends and so much driving with this, she was afraid that if she quit that they would be upset, angry, disappointed. And that's why she was burned out. Again, externally focused. So what can we do about this? What can we do so that our kids don't become addicted to these drugs like appreciation and and approval and about being popular and successful and all those kinds of things? First and foremost is awareness. Awareness is appropriately the title of Anthony DeMello's book. And there's a good story from that book that I want to tell you that really really gives you, gives you a, a quick sense of what awareness is about. There was a tramp, a beggar, in London. He was kind of settling in for the night on the banks of the Tem- Thames River. And he was cold. He was hungry. He'd had nothing more than a few crusts of bread in the past few days. There was a drizzle, so he kind of huddled up in his old tattered blanket. He was about to fall asleep when suddenly a chauffeur-driven Rolls-Royce pulled up. Out of of the car steps this beautiful young woman, and she says, my poor man, are you planning on spending the night here on this this embankment? And the tramp says, yes, ma'am, I am. She says, I won't have it. You're coming to my house, and you're going to spend a comfortable night. You're going to get a good dinner and sleep in a warm, comfortable bed. So she insists on him getting into the car, and he does. Well, they ride, out of, out of, they ride out of London and go to a place where she has this huge mansion with large grounds. They're ushered into this mansion by the butler, to whom the woman says, James, please make sure he's put in the servants' quarters and treated very well. Which is exactly what James does. So this young woman goes and has her own meal. She undresses, and she's about ready to go to bed when she suddenly remembers her guest. And so she slips on this, this negligee, and she pads down the corridor to the servants' quarters. She sees a little bit of light coming from the room where the tramp was. So she taps on the door, opens it, and she finds a man awake. And she says, well, what's the trouble, my good man? Are you, did you not get a good meal? And the tramp says, oh, never had a better meal in my life, ma'am. I thank you so much. And she says, well, are you warm enough? He says, oh, yes, ma'am, a lovely warm bed. And then she says, well, maybe you need to need a little bit of company. Why don't you move over a little bit? So she starts to slide into the bed next to him, and he moves over a little bit, and he falls right into the Thames River. Bah! Awareness. Awareness, awareness, awareness. DeMello's message in his book is that we're, we're all asleep. We're sleepwalking through life and not aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. So we've got to, first and foremost, start with awareness. To understand, like I did on that, on that uh, ride in the car with Bill, understand why it is that we may be suffering, why we're so tense and stressed, and why and in what ways we're addicted. 
Where are the, where are the drugs, quote-unquote, that you're addicted to? Let me read you another story. And this is actually a saying from a Chinese sage called Tran Tzu. And it, it's awesome. And it's a little bit deep, so I may even read it twice. It goes like this. When the archer shoots for no particular prize, she has all her skills. When she shoots to win a brass buckle, she's already nervous. When she shoots for the gold prize, she goes blind. She sees two targets and she's out of her mind. Her skill is not changed, but the prize divides her. She cares. And she thinks more of winning than of shooting. And the need to win drains her of power. Wow, that's heavy. <clears throat> Let me read it again. When the archer shoots for no particular prize, she has all of her skills. When she shoots to win a brass buckle, she is already nervous. When she shoots for the gold prize, she goes blind. She, she, she sees two targets and she is out of her mind. Her skill has not changed, but the prize divides her. She cares. She thinks more of winning than of shooting, and the need to win drains her of power. And I would add the need to win drains her of fulfillment. Drains her of the joy of doing it, for, for just the joy of, of playing the sport, playing the game, the joy of learning. I think we've become so focused, and I think our kids have become so focused on the destination, on the rewards, that they've lost the focus on the process. They don't enjoy the journey because they're so focused on the results. And they have lost the love of, of the game, playing for the love of the sport. They have lost their love of learning, and that really does disturb me a lot. <clears throat> Let me read you a quick quote from Kyle Snyder. Now, Kyle Snyder is an Olympic wrestler. He won the gold medal in the summer 2016 Olympics uh, at 97 kilograms, and he became the youngest Olympic wrestling champion in U.S. history. And this 20-year-old 20, 20 said this, I think, if anything, my secret is that instead of thinking about winning and instead of thinking about gold medals and stuff like that, I try to value just my effort. I value my improvement and I value the love that I have for my sport. Wow. Couldn't say it any better. That is an, is an internally directed young man who not only is successful, but he's also fulfilled and happy because he's not being driven by his drugs. So one thing we can do is we can ask our kids more questions about why they love what they're doing. Whether it's their artwork, whether it's being in theater, whether it's playing uh, softball or volleyball, uh, whether it's playing piano or playing guitar, no matter what they're doing, to ask them what they love about it, why are they doing it. Help them talk about and get in touch with that intrinsic internal motivation and then just mirror it back so they internalize it. That's internal. That's not doing it for you to get your approval, to get applause. It's they're doing it because of the love of doing it, their own particular reasons. And I also think we need to um, acknowledge kids for when they are doing things for their reasons. Let me tell you a story that I read from a book called The, the Right Words at the Right Time, Volume 2 by Marlo Thomas. Great book, by the way. There's a Volume 1 and a Volume 2. Little short stories about people and how someone in their life 
caught them at the right time and said just the exact right thing to help them shift. Kind of like Bill's words to me in the van. That was the right words at the right time. This story is about a woman. Her name is Deborah Cheehy, C-H-E-E-H-Y, and she's a children's author. And she, she talks about how when, when she was in sixth grade, her family moved. So she had to go to the new school, and she became the dreaded new, awkward sixth grade girl. As if you're not awkward enough, right? Now she's the new kid. And she remembered being in an English class where they were told to write about a person they'd most like to meet and why. Now, she loved James Cagney, and she wanted to write about him, her favorite actor. This is back, in, I guess, in the 60s, early 70s. And all the other people in the class were writing about the monkeys, you know, the rock and roll group. Today would be Taylor Swift. And her friends told her not to. And they said, you're going to be laughed at. And indeed, when she told her by, in her class that she was doing it, they, they laughed at her. They giggled. They said, you're crazy. So she went home that night conflicted. So she sat down and she tried to write about Davy Jones, who was the, the cute lead singer of the Monkees. But she became frustrated because nothing came up. She did not resonate with that. She was torn between the drugs of wanting to fit in versus being liked. I, I'm sorry, being, to, to fit in and be liked versus being true to herself. So she was torn between the external, the drug, versus the internal, which is what do I want to do? What feels right to me? She decided that writing about the monkeys was not her thing, was not her idea. And so she did write about James Cagney, the actor. And when she sat down to write then, the words flowed. About how she felt when he was on the screen, when he was acting, when, she, when he was singing, dancing. The next day, she turned her, her paper in. And a couple days later, the teacher told the class that she wanted some of the kids to read their stories. And she asked Deborah first. And at first, Deborah was embarrassed because she knew the kids were going to laugh. But she decided, you know what, I'm, it's mine. I'm, I, want, I really did want to meet him. And so she started to read her story. And at first, the kids did start to giggle. But as she read on and they sensed her passion, the giggling stopped. At the end, the teacher put her arm around Deborah's shoulder. And she said, Deborah, A+. Plus. Good for you. And that experience gave Deborah the courage to follow her heart from that day forward. So I think we need to acknowledge kids when they do step up, when they do stand out. There's an old phrase that the nail that sticks up gets hammered down. I think there's some truth to that. But I want kids to develop the courage to speak their minds and do what they love to do, no matter what other people are doing, to wear what they want to wear and hang out with who they want to hang out with and not need to do things for, for praise and approval. Let me give you another example. There's a a young woman now, she's, she's in her late 20s, but back when she was in seventh grade, I've known her because she's been a camper since she was seven or eight years of age. Powerful young girl. And she was, she was also a um, gymnast, high level. She was a level 10 when she was in, I guess it was eighth grade. That's not seventh grade, eighth grade. And she decided uh, that she was going to quit gymnastics because of a couple reasons. Number one, she was kind of burned out. And she was going from a private school to a public uh, high school. And because of the shift, she wanted to get to know her classmates. She wanted to have more time to actually be a kid and to have friends and have a social life, etc. So she made the, the tough decision, first of all, to quit gymnastics. And luckily, she had very supportive parents. And 
her gymnastics coach, and their all those people were not too happy, and they tried to talk to talk her into staying, blah blah blah, and she she held firm, she was resolute, and so she quit. The summer before high school started, she she got on a, a field hockey team. She wanted to try something different, and she was really good right from the start. She went to a few camps that summer, and then she started um, high school at this big public high school. And when she tried out for field hockey uh, a few weeks into school, she stood out. She was awesome, great athlete. And so the head coach of the varsity came up to her during the tryouts, and he said, I want you playing varsity this year. I guess he was thinking she'd be, you know, so happy because the coach was applauding her and, and seeing her and all that. But this girl did something incredible. She said, I don't want to play varsity. I've just been through this, you know, this tense ringer, you know, of a, of a sport in gymnastics. And I want to start high school and, and learn the whole rhythm of this kind of a school to get into the rhythm of high school. I want to make friends in my class. If I play varsity, I'm going to be with juniors and seniors. I'd rather, you know, get to know people and, and, you know, kind of establish myself and all that. So I'd rather play freshman and maybe, you know, you know, go up to it and play some JV too. Kind of, they go back and forth. And the coach was upset, apparently. And he told her, if you don't play varsity, then you don't play at all. So she went home and she told her parents, who were very upset. But they left it up to her. They said, it's up to you what you do. And so with very little thought, because she knew what she wanted, because, because of who this girl is, she went back the next day and she, and she looked that coach in the eye and she said, I mean, I'm not playing. And she didn't play her freshman year in high school. Amazing. Now, she did play on a club team that year, developed her skills. And when she went out as a sophomore, she made varsity quickly because she was so good. But she was ready for it now because she had had her year to make her friends and all that. And there were some other sophomores who were, you know, playing JV and varsity. But she did it her way for her reasons. I want every girl to have that kind of courage to kind of push past those drugs of doing things for the prestige of being the only freshman on the varsity and all that. I want us to look for those opportunities to acknowledge girls when they do things like that when they go against the grain. Let me finish up here. So we're talking about how we, we've, in essence, been unconsciously causing our kids to become addicted to the drugs of approval, praise, being applauded, being popular, um, be, having lots of likes, being attractive, that the need to be important, to fit in, to belong, especially to belong in the quote-unquote right groups and how those, those, those needs, those drugs become attachments, meaning a belief that in order to be happy, I need those things. <clears throat> if I don't get them, then I'm anxious and tense, I'm unhappy, I'm miserable. So we need to do something as parents, which is start viewing childhood in a different way. I want us to start viewing childhood not as a race or a contest, to be the best. It's not about prizes at graduation. It's not about building a resume to get into an elite college. It's not about winning national championships at the age of eight. Parenting is not about giving your kids a leg up. The whole purpose of childhood should not be about giving your kids an edge and to be better than their peers. Grade school should not just be high school prep. High school should not just be college prep. Not just college prep, but elite college prep. This is way more important things that should be going on in childhood.
And that is things like getting to know yourself, personal awareness, social-emotional intelligence, developing grit and self-efficacy, self-motivation, self-reliance. If you feel like th- that childhood is about being a race in a contest, <clears throat> excuse me, and giving your kids a leg up, then it's hard not to be pressured as a parent to try and mold and micromanage your kid to stay in the course that you set for them, even though that is not how life is supposed to work. Because every one of your daughters has their own unique destiny and path. They need to learn their own lessons in their own way, in their own time. They need to build their own story and their own mark in the world. There's a huge cost when our kids become addicted to those drugs. And that cost is they're not being themselves. They're not finding their own motivation for doing things. They don't know who they are. They spend so much time performing for adults, being judged by adults, parents, teachers, coaches. This relentless pressure to succeed and be the best, to impress everybody, to win and be popular. They've got to be special and perfect, not disappoint people, get, get everybody's approval. They become addicted to those things. They become addicted to approval and praise and they lose their intrinsic stuff, their intrinsic motivation. They lose their identity. They become distracted from what's really important. And what's really important is to be a kid when you're a kid, to play for play's sake, play for the love of the game, to learn for the love of learning, learning about being of service, being kind, having time to explore, have adventures, Time to challenge yourself and to make mistakes and to pick yourself up and keep going. To make choices and to do the right thing because it's the right thing for you. We treat kids like little professionals. We need to let kids be kids. And we need to be very conscious and very aware of not getting our kids addicted to those drugs. I hope this resonates for you. I think it's critical that we reverse this trend we've had in this culture for the past 40 years especially, where our kids have become so externally motivated, externally directed, if you will, because we really are setting our kids up to be unhappy and miserable. That constant tension, never happy, never enough. I think a lot of you listening to this, a lot of you parents probably know that feeling because I think we're being driven by the same kinds of things. We become so dependent upon other people for how we see ourselves. And I worry that our daughters' self-esteem, their sense of themselves goes up and down, up and down, and they're not in charge of it anymore. We've got to shift that. So, first of all, look inward at yourself and how you're living your life, and also look at how you're parenting. Look at what you're focused on, where your energy goes. And if it's going toward those, towards those externals, then you have time to shift it. And your kids will notice. I remember when our kids were in, were in middle school and high school. I remember Ann and I would be sitting in the hallway in these chairs outside a classroom waiting to go in to talk to a teacher at a parent-teacher conference. And there would be these frantic parents running around trying to give, get parents to give them donations so they could buy like trinkets, little reward things so that, to give kids to reward them for good behavior or for grades and all these kinds of things. And we would laugh like, no, we're not going to invest in that. We don't believe in that. And we would tell our kids about it. And our kids learned 
from growing up with this sort of parenting, how crazy it was. They actually would look at it and laugh like this is nuts. So your kids will develop that same kind of awareness and they will be able to live their lives in a different kind of way where they will not be addicted to these drugs. <clears throat> so I hope that was valuable. If you liked what I said, pass this podcast on. I want every parent to become aware of this conditioning and programming we're, do, we're doing with our kids. Thanks, as always, for stopping by here. I'm doing more podcasts these days because people are asking for them. So I'm typically now doing two to three podcasts every month and usually one blog in, interspersed in there somewhere. And I really do love it when you pass them on, and I appreciate it a lot. I will be back here in, in a week or two with a new podcast. Um, take care of yourselves, stay healthy, and increase your awareness. Thanks for stopping by.